0: hi everyone uh good evening it's friday night 7 p.m mountain daylight time Uh, my name is johnny summers and uh, welcome to johnny's juke tonight as we get a chance to interview and and talk to an incredible saxophone player uh, woodwind doubler and and musician and a lifelong dear friend of mine, Mr. Jerry Hebert. Uh please welcome Jerry. Jerry, are you there? I am here, Johnny. How you doing, bud? I am fine, thank
1: you. How are you today? I'm good, actually. Feeling great. Yeah, well, it's been a pretty hot week, right? Like it's been it's like a whole different vibe to the city on a Friday after this last week.
0: It's been uh, cooking here. I... Uh... It's hard to it's hard to want to. I've been working on a lot of writing for people lately, and it's hard it's hard to to be creative when you're sweltering. Yeah, that's that's the downside. <laughs> you gotta manage the energy a little bit more. So, uh, uh, everyone, clicking in to join us. If you have any questions for us, you're out or anything you want to say, please just type it. Type a question. Type a comment. Uh, type an exclamation, and. Um, yeah. And I'd like to get started. So, um, so this is Jerry bear. Jerry, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to ask you questions about, um, um, music and life and working as a musician and love and long walks on the beach and whatever else comes up. Um, one of the first things that, that I want to ask you right off the bat is what was the first record or recording, uh, that made you fall in love with music? Fall in love with music. Hmm. It's interesting.
1: I can speak from a couple different sides of this. Like in terms of jazz, playing jazz music, I, pull, I remember getting um, Blue Train from, that, from, the, uh, from the library when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. And I also got Giant Steps. And I just remember my teacher saying, you got to check out John Coltrane. And I think the thing I was listening to just before that, like was something a, a friend of mine gave me this tape of Boots Randolph. And I was like, okay, oh, yakety sax. Is that how you're supposed to play the saxophone? Is that, is that the thing? <laughs> I think I was in grade 10 or nine. And then I they have a different approach. Those yeah, two saxophone so, players. Like John Coltrane, <laughs> Boots Randolph. I was like, that's a big contrast to me. And uh, so I just remember that I went to the library a lot in high school and would take out
0: different records. And, <laughs> and how... that was so blue train was was actually one of the first that you yep. loved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I just want to. So if yeah, anyone, I mean. I can definitely yeah i definitely concur anyone listening to check out uh, john coltrane's blue train um this um
1: it's just iconic
0: right just man lee morgan on trumpet curtis fuller on trombone i'm trying to think paul chambers and oops, I did not mean to restart that. The uh, that was a that was a weird uh, musical choice that uh, Coltrane made on that version. Um, uh, Paul Chambers was it? Winton Kelly? I'm I'm drawing a blank on the piano player. Probably. Uh, I I'm not even. I, well,
1: it wasn't all Miles' band. I don't think on that one, but it could have been.
0: I need to Google it. Probably now. Philly. You know but what was your, Yeah, yeah, Philly Joe Jones. What was your What was your favorite track from that? And and what was it about the playing, like it about the saxophone playing and stuff, that, that drew you in? It was the
1: ensemble. Actually, it was like I was playing in a big band, at high school, and I actually in grade ten I organized it myself. We were I was at a brand new high school. Um, we we had a, a music teacher who wasn't really experienced and didn't really care much about jazz. It was like no, oh, if you want to do jazz, you can figure out something for yourself at lunch. And <laughs> I remember talking to you, well five or six other students and saying, hey, let's put together some things. And we found a bit of music and we started to rehearse at lunches and it really didn't go anywhere. And in fact, what happened was um, the high school teacher at a different high school, kind of who I knew through the marching band and through some other things in the community, he said, well, we've got a good jazz band. You should just come and play in our school, (laughs) which is what I did in grade 11. I'd switch schools and went to a different high school for the band and to play in a proper big band, which is... But it was it was that whole sound of three horns and then the big band sound. And I think at the time, you know, like Maynard Ferguson band was pretty popular. And I remember one of the guys from the marching band playing stuff from Conquistador or something, or one of those epic albums that Maynard was putting out in those days. And so yeah. that, actually some of the first big band stuff I heard was either Maynard Ferguson or it was Count Basie. Because
0: in fact there was kind Which of two under. completely different approaches, especially depending on the era of Maynard, right? Like it's, yeah. But this stuff okay. was 80s Maynard kind of in his loudest. <laughs> well, what, we... <laughs> okay. Well, what was your favorite Maynard Ferguson record then from the 80s? Cause then that would have been stuff you liked too. Well, um,
1: I just, I don't know if I had a favorite. I mean, there was always that kind of the, this was not long after the Rocky kind of um, tension that came out. Yeah with Maynard. Yeah. And and so I have
0: a story about that after I'll tell. Do Yeah, well, yeah,
1: I just, there was a friend of mine, his name was Colin. And he was a, a lead Trump player in my grade, my high school band in grade 11. And he was just idolizing a lot of that music. And he could play that way. Like he really hmm. picked up a lot of the, the high chops. And and in grade eleven, we put together um, sort of a dance band for a fundraiser where we played a lot of the classics, including in the first time I ever learned, like "In the Mood," and and a lot
0: of the the dance. I've never band. heard of it. Can you? How does it go?
1: yeah uh, it's you know, it was a band that disappeared over the English Channel. I think I don't know if it was. Oh, up wow! Or. But too soon. <laughs> <That> um... <probably. laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you haven't heard of "In the Mood." You know, it's funny the the stories of do you play the the solo that's written or don't you play the solo that's written.
0: You know, I do whatever the band leader tells me to do. (laughs) That's I've been around a black
1: big band was something and blue train was uh, was something a little different. And it was kind of that self-expression piece, but still an ensemble that was tight and kind of, you know, speaking the same language.
0: Awesome. The uh, and and, uh, what was the other one? Count Basie. So what was your favorite Count Basie record? Like recommend one then to us because you brought up Basie.
1: I brought up Basie partially because I remember the day the or the day after Basie died, because we had a rehearsal. And our band director said, okay, we're not playing today. I'm playing you Count Basie Records for the rest of the class. And all right, we had jazz band at 7.30 or 7.20 in the morning before school. We'd go there. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of albums. I I would make mixtapes. In fact, at that time, my what's trick a, was... What's a tape? Yeah, my trick was I'd I'd get a record from the library. I never owned any of these records, so I would just record the songs I liked on tape. Mm-hmm. And recently, actually, I came across a box full of this stuff in our basement. I have several boxes of tapes, cassette tapes, that were my own sort of mixes from all kinds of albums. And so I, don't, I didn't even know or have any of the full albums of artists back when I was in high school, or even in my first couple of years of college.
0: And did you, just out of curiosity, how many of these mixtapes did you make for a young woman <laughs> that you were recording? Uh, that came a little later but okay. and were they successful were they uh she's still with me <laughs> <laughs> That's a good mixtape <laughs> I, mean,
1: I mean, uh six years of marriage and almost 32 years <laughs> of whatever you want to call that courting courting um, <laughs> I think
0: you know? that's what the kids are calling it these days.
1: Uh, I don't know if the kids use the word courting much, but uh, wooing <laughs> I'm a little old fashioned. Um, I can't even imagine it. I mean it's it is awesome though, I did make mixtapes for Jen and I would send them to her when she was uh, different places around what we we spent I was in the Navy band at one point, I moved to Europe for a while, I traveled um, a bit. I can't even imagine it. I mean it's it is awesome. Is so, that, I did make mixtapes for Jen and when she, something was playing back there. Is that uh... I have no idea. Oh. Technical issues. Oh well, I don't know what that was. I just heard myself about uh, fifteen seconds behind. <laughs> and, anyway, go internet. Yeah. So mixtapes. It's funny the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Kids were kind of talking about that at the school when that came out here, and they were all saying, "What? Those these tape things?" And I'm like, "I did that." I... Ah, this suddenly got official. Yay. So okay.
0: Uh, um, who topic? So you grew up in northern alberta yes yeah uh uh i was just gonna see if you were gonna contest the fact that i said you grew up um the you grew up in northern, I got in northern <laughs> yeah. uh in uh in fort mcmurray um what was it like growing up there you know you mentioned being in high school a little bit you talked a little bit about moving in like changing schools and stuff but what was it like being interested in the arts and growing up there was there a lot of support for it or a lot of of opportunity or or was it more difficult
1: i i can't compare to other situations but i can say that it was really great for me um the teachers i had at the time i had them Mm -hmm. so in in junior high um, my director was uh, was Lonnie Gunther was his name he was a he was a woodwind doubler played clarinet sax flute played in dance bands and he was sort of right out of the American songbook style of playing plus wow. he was good, he was good with uh, you know the concert band stuff and I just remember he was a saxophone player and so I kind of really tried to learn as much as I could from him in junior high and when I got to high school, my first year, the teacher, you know, like I said, the, it was a new school. The program wasn't really strong. It was a small ensemble. It was fine. Like, w- we played a lot, and I got interested in it. Um, but mostly, I, you just found your click, right, in your high school situation, particularly of people. And I was involved in music. I was involved in the Air Cadets. I was really into sort of some of that experience. And I was involved in in, in sort of, I guess you could say, um, the social side of of. Bands and playing a little bit of guitar and playing, you know, with groups and learning all all the elements of putting on a production. I guess.
0: Oh, excellent. Um, okay, so then you went to uh, Grand Prairie and yep. you did a diploma in music music, per- music, per- music performance, performance or, right? or what it was. It was a two
1: year performance diploma. Um, Doctor Jeremy Brown, our good friend and uh, and lead tenor player in the Calgary Jazz Orchestra sort of recruited me out of high school when i was about 16. that's the first time i saw him and he was teaching over there and we went to grand prairie from our uh, high school banding when i was in grade 12 for a festival he organized called jazz north which had happened to have some players like you know pj perry and and tommy banks and and a lot of the Edmonton sort of royalty of musicians that I didn't know much about, but just were amazing. And mm-hmm. he would bring in other big artists like Al Dazzuti came and of course, um, Mo Kaufman with Dizzy Gillespie. And, and so we actually saw some surprisingly amazing artists during those years. I was in grade 12 in my first year and second year of college.
0: That's amazing. The Wow, that is amazing. It also brings up, because then you went to the University of Calgary and continued uh, studying with, with Jeremy at the time. Not, not with nope. Jeremy, because Jeremy oh.
1: was still in Grand Prairie, and then he left Grand Prairie a little later to do his uh, doctoral in oh. Ohio. Okay. So I actually studied with uh, with Car- Clark Reed um, for three years at the University of Calgary, and he was more of a sort of, you know, University of Michigan, Donald Sinta protege saxophonist, and a wonderful musician, very expressive. And so he, I guess, got me into chamber music, I would say, you know, playing oh, yeah. a lot of more classical inspired you know saxophone quartet um woodwind quintets um which is definitely
0: not explored as much as uh it's not it's not as common you don't see it as common i mean you do when you're in music school but we don't see it as common like if you were to open up the um the listings we wouldn't necessarily see a saxophone quartet playing um
1: not no, still even it's yeah. not even that, that often that we see it, and uh, and it is um, it's a fun ensemble. Like basically, it's it's a pipe organ with reeds that four people are playing a different pipe, <laughs> and you get some blend and some dynamic contrast. And of course, the saxophone is pretty versatile with its color. Um, so you know, obviously, that eventually led to my interest in playing with a chamber group that uh, played for over ten years with a lot of good musicians um, playing saxophone quartet. In fact, that totally. was the thing
0: which leads me right perfectly into the next section. Yeah. It's almost like we never rehearsed this, but we've improvised together before. So the, um, um, the, th- this, whole, this whole thing that we're talking about there is moving into, uh, hi Norm, hi Klaus, hi Claudia. Thanks for watching. Hey. Um, so the, th- this, this is when you moved into, and this is kind of when I first uh, saw you perform. It wasn't when we first met, um, but I, was, uh, I think I was in high school. And you guys were uh, you were playing with your group, a classical saxophone group. And I remember seeing you in a theater somewhere, the four of you. And I don't I don't recall which theater, but I remember seeing it in a theater setting. Um, and you guys sounded gorgeous. You were playing soprano uh, mostly, I think, predominantly, or maybe for the whole show. And everybody's uh, tone was was just staggeringly gorgeous. You guys played in tune. And in time and i was still trying to figure out which end of the trumpet to blow into so uh i was so impressed um and it was so musical and so expressive like you mentioned about your teacher and um and that was uh the group that you mentioned there that you played with for over 10 years was the and bovines it was swinging bovines Only so, from country could you get that kind of name right well the bovine part i get but like whatever <laughs> would you make uh make you name a classical saxophone quartet the swinging bovines
1: you know i haven't answered that question in, in a while but it was a very common question <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> part of it was a, a bit of a you know a, a just sort of creating a little bit of an interest right there's a bit like a marketing brand contradiction that where people would go the swinging bovines like and it would catch their attention it would be a name they'd remember and you know at the time you think about the Canadian brass or you think about some of the other chamber groups that were around and they were they were kind of more self-explanatory they were like we are this we're from here and this right. is our instrumentation and, and we we didn't want to be the something something saxophone quartet even though we were a saxophone quartet and so part of it was our personality part of it was the the, the urge to explore a lot of different kinds of music and not be quite restricted um even though we played a lot of classical at times and in fact really explored i would say some of the most challenging french inspired classical saxophone repertoire we also had commissions and we started to improvise and we started to work more on jazz as a as a medium for soloing within the group even without having all the traditional pieces like in terms of rhythm section and and so forth so um, but eventually you did
0: uh start hiring a rhythm section we did because it became a we had, seven piece version of the band sometimes yeah six or and. seven
1: piece we often played because we got some club dates like we were playing cannery row for a year mm-hmm. you know or a year and a half every weekend and then yeah. we were playing at the wine gallery for another year and we i remember hearing hearing you there, there for a year
0: the wine gallery <laughs> i remember coming to, to hear you guys several times there i remember sitting with pat Bellavo, the great sax player pat and i came down after a gig when i was in university i think and you guys were playing there and you had um I think it was John Hyde on bass and Dave Pierce on drums and Dave prepared. Pierce had done a lot of the writing um and of course we're we're very proud of Dave Pierce because he's he's from the city we're we're both living in and he um uh he uh, I mean he's, he's just done so many amazing things right producing mm-hmm. Michael Bublé and and doing uh, his his uh swing show Forever Swing the Broadway show that ran for a while and Um, I mean, uh, producing the Olympics when they were in Vancouver, the the opening ceremony music uh, for the Olympics. Like He's done so many amazing things. Anyway, but he was playing drums for you, and he did a bunch of your arrangements, too, at the time, right? He did, yeah. Yeah. In fact, he really customized and kind of gave us a
1: vision about how we could do some jazzy stuff as a quartet. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a couple other groups, like the 29th Street Saxophone Quartet, Um, there was, you know, the world saxophone quartet, and there was some other more traditional style ones that were playing jazz sometimes. But, um, I think we just wanted to find our own kind of niche with it. And we would do a lot of like the joke with us, or, or one of the jokes was they laughed at our name and then they heard us play. And (laughs) (laughs) that's,
0: that's good. Yeah. The
1: idea was to kind of disarm people. They would be like, what is this about? And then we would play music and then it would be both serious and intense and fun. Mm Mm-hmm and and i think those things resonated well with the audiences and we were a soft seater concert group like we were trying to make a decent income by playing in a concert setting 3 or 400 seat places and we toured like all across canada and the and, states and into the us quite a few states and into europe and we went to france and and we you know we were pretty we were we were pretty young and naive about certain things in the industry i would say but we were ambitious and uh, and we had a collective energy that helped us achieve some things i think would have been hard if we were trying to do it individually
0: right wow um okay so if we i think you did you did three studio recordings with the swinging bovines so if you could steer people towards one of those records or one specific track to listen to that you're proud of what would that be
1: well the last album is called further afield we recorded it at the banff center and we brought in Lincoln Fry, um, wonderful local arranger and saxophonist, Woodwind Lubler, who, who I know is still in the community and, and, and has um, done really impressive arranging and work. And so he arranged that entire album and some original tunes. And I, I've, I've always thought that was one of the most collaborative, interesting projects we did. And as far as an individual song, um, there's a tribute in there to Lester Young. It's called Lester's Last Leap. And Gary Guthman comes and plays trumpet for us, and Dave Reed plays some bone, and and we had some different. I think um, Amos Garrett played guitar. Uh, we had some some different players on different tracks, but I just remember playing that song. And this it's almost a story, and it tells. It's it's based on Lester Young's last recorded um, television, at least television recorded solo, and so Lincoln took the solo. And then he created sort of a variation on that. And then we kind of made it into a mini big band format. And I thought that that was one of the best realizations of what our ensemble was about. And the whole album, Further Afield, fits the, the bovine theme well. And uh, and and I think I was really proud of that project. And I also remember that my, my son, who is now actually as of this week turned 24, I have a photo of him as a baby younger than yours, lying on the console at the Banff center for the arts because we recorded that and he was about a month old
0: wow yeah um okay Swing and bovines further afield lester's last leap and i remember when i was uh i went to the cd release you guys did for that this mm. is still again before we met but it was i remember it was uh down in the inglewood district in in calgary i think the first yeah concert. In a funky warehouse type venue. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. And, uh, and then I remember you introducing the arrangers and, and, and even as, see, I, I, at this point, I think for me, I was, I was in university uh, when, when, uh, when you were releasing that and I'd been listening to, a, a, you know, a lot of music like we all do, but, but I'd Frank Sinatra and I, and one of the things I always loved about Sinatra was how he would always talk about his arrangers mm-hmm. and his orchestrators you know this is this that was by the great Nelson Riddle and and what he was saying was if you like the sound of that it would not have sounded that good if it wasn't for Nelson Riddle you know there was a there was a subtext you know like there was a, and uh so I remember being at the concert going man like this is so great that, that they're they're talking about the arrangers and and the other musicians and the guest musicians not just the uh, look at me, kind of thing. Not that you guys ever did that, but you know what I mean. It was, I know. Um, it was great. And I, uh, I aspired to. I was like, you know what? Because I, I knew back then that I wanted to be an arranger, and I went, I want to, I want to write for them. I want them to hire me one day. And then, and then, of course, you, maybe your, maybe your fourth record. If you guys ever do one, you'll, <laughs> you'll hire me. But reunion <laughs> record. A reunion record, yeah. Um, but I think the one you talked about, Lester's Last Leap. Um, you actually gave a chart of that arrangement. That lincoln fry did to the calgary jazz orchestra library so maybe we should pull that out and and have a playthrough and see if we can schedule it somewhere that would be fun
1: sure that'd be fun it's a it's cool it is a cool chart and like i said i mean we did classical we did celtic we did french style american style we did we started to do more and more jazz the first album was called both sides of the fence no sorry the second album was called both sides of the fence and i think that's where we kind of really established ourselves as a crossover group and mm-hmm. the first album was like, we're gonna play these different things, but we didn't really own the ownership of the arrangements. Like we just played stock stuff mm-hmm. or we had a few things that we had, had roughly roughly arranged by some friends, but we got more professional, I guess, as we got going. And And I do look back at those formative years. Like we played together for almost 12 years that it was like a post-secondary study period in everything about music performance, the business, touring, recording, like you and couldn't... you've all
0: done well since then, like you, uh, you I know you, you're not playing together with the bovines we're gonna move on and talk about more of your career here but but uh, Mark DeYoung has gone on to play and teach and and done really well. He's a great player and mm. and um, uh, Keith Crucial um, yep. he's gone on to play and and mainly teach he went into teaching and teaches at a high school now. He's at Bonass high school right now, yeah, and then um, sherry Kennedy Sherry Harrington. Henry- Harrington. Right. Oh. Sorry. Sherry Henning- uh, and Harrington. Kennedy was a singer, I think. Yeah. Sherry, sorry, <laughs> Sherry Kennedy, if you're watching, it's just because you're always on my mind, dear. Um, and I love you too. But uh, hey, that's a good title for a song, I think. Um, but uh, uh, Sherry Harrington, now, is she still playing? Uh honestly i have to admit that
1: there was a a slight estrangement well there was not just a slight estrangement there was an estrangement with sherry at a certain point during the groups um like we didn't stay working together for the entire time the the group operated um Mm -hmm. particularly touring you know i think touring is something you can't really imagine how it feels until you've done it and when you've been on the road for like for us would be maybe six weeks or two months at most that was something that wasn't for everybody and i think we found sherry found that difficult um traveling alone was cha- you know being in a van with three other guys you know going 15 hours between concerts in the middle of the dead of winter somewhere in northwest territories which had did happen you mm-hmm. know things like that um are challenging so I, I think there was a combination of things but we we grew apart and i know she went back to nova scotia at one point i'm not sure what's happened and i do feel kind of bad i haven't I, like she doesn't seem to be on social media, so I haven't been in any kind of opportunity to interact with her easily, um, and I haven't heard anything of her in quite some time. But uh, uh, maybe I'm one sure. of the other
0: guys knows something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, do you remember when we first met? Uh, I feel like there was a jam session
1: involved. You know, in terms of in terms of where I may have first heard you or seen you, and maybe even had a conversation, or maybe we even played together. I. I, I do remember the Yomozo kind of early experiences where we were playing together, kind of because I was, was I filling in for somebody? I can't remember. Well, I think, yeah. Like I was that thinking about this too before. First and then I filled in on a gig or something and then ended up playing with you guys for a while. Well,
0: I think that was part of it. I think it was, um, um, so there was a there was a great group called Yomozo, which was uh, um, uh, Johannes Alampa singing uh, Mohini Cox and uh, Zoe um and they um one of them one of the singers left and another singer joined and that was right when when I got asked to play in the band and then uh, I think Pat Bellable couldn't do a bunch of them so I recommended you for the for the job and then we and then we've been friends since then that was when we I recall driving to driving like to British Columbia or something to some huge Penticton. stage festival Penticton yeah, we, and I think it was U, that UB40 open for us was it uh, 40 or
1: it was a pop band of some recognition i remember yeah being
0: yeah they were great and and, the, and they were super nice i think it might have been them but anyway um <laughs> memory uh but i remember uh we were having many shenanigans um uh while we were out there um and then yeah um well,
1: that was i i don't feel like that was the very first time we played but i think it was early on Mm-hmm. And that, and I think that was the first kind of regular group situation we played in because they were playing at Morgan's Pub and they were
0: doing some gigs here and there. They had uh, a lot of a lot of steady gigs. Yeah. And then a lot of private parties that would come up. Like, they were busy and it was fun. They were on the rise. They were about to make the first record, which we recorded on. Yeah. Um, and then, then the band fell apart, unfortunately. You know, everyone watching, it's... And sometimes do. <laughs> you know, it's just like you mentioned, like sometimes when there's an estrangement, you know, it's just... Uh, you're you're living with people, and 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 when you're younger, you don't understand necessarily what that means or what that you know. It's you really can't get a feel for it till you've done it. So That's you for do sure. it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, the um. Okay, so if you didn't, let's let's think back to that period of time. If you didn't become uh, like now you're a, a musician and an educator, uh, for a profession. If you weren't doing that, uh, what would you be? in five words or less. If I wasn't being what I am today in five words or less. That's already more than
1: five words. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's an impossible question, Johnny. I, I actually I think I would have found my way to this industry somewhere. Just wow. because of my interest and the way performance has captured me from the beginning. And still does. Like I still love the moments were on stage and you really feel comfortable with the piece and the band is listening and everybody's kind of, you know, something bigger is happening than what you can do on your own. And, uh, and it's interacting with the audience and all those things. Like I was attracted to the performance piece pretty early, like right away when I was in high school, I was trying to create performance opportunities. And when I got to college university, I went you know I started my own quartets and my own groups and and I wanted to find gigs and I remember being pretty empowered by the fact that in university we took our big bands at the time the red and blue band um in, in University of Calgary to California for a summer trip and we needed to raise some money and so I actually got a combo together which included people like uh Russ Broom was playing guitar with me at the
0: time Doug Great Obr- guitarist Hammer. friend of ours who who yeah. uh, produces uh many artists but produces yep. jan arden and plays with jan arden he's an incredible musician incredible producer great guitar player uh doug oberhammer so he's yep. he's yep. now he's a music director uh, on broadway uh, piano player trumpet player yep. great musician
1: so him and i and and a, and a few others like we were chris chris orr was playing with us uh, a great bass player that was, was his, a bass player from my first quartet yeah and and uh Stu, i'm trying to remember the drummer's last name it's escaped me suddenly um and we even had uh ravi palaya playing with us at one point and, and a couple great of trumpeter people. and so we uh, we raised some money i actually got gigs at malls i remember contacting you know, opening up the yellow pages, looking through for all the contacts. Hello, Reetman. Cold calling, you know, <laughs> Northland Mall. Hey, I've got this <laughs> jazz group at the university. We're trying to put together some gigs, and we don't want to. We just want to make some money to help us on our trip to California, and to just cover some costs. We weren't getting paid. We just. But I remember putting together like seven or eight of those kind of gigs in malls, playing in boot
0: bears. It doesn't surprise me because you've always. Um, if you if you had a, a project you wanted to work on, you always would take care of the business, pound the pavement and do what was necessary. And I think a lot of people um, that aren't in the bi- industry and, and a lot that even are don't realize how much work is done on the business side of things and logistics and administration to, to make projects happen, to make these things happen. You, you've well, always done that.
1: Yeah, I think, and that's bovines, we continued that kind of vibe. Like we mm-hmm. just started doing it as a collective, and you know, delegating the work a little differently. But um, it was in university. I mean, you just you have to hustle for the gig, and you also have to prepare for the gig. And then you have, when you're there, you're like, wait, we gotta play. You know, like yeah. you have, to have tunes, and you have to rehearse, and you got to deal with. Say, I remember playing at um, Tropicana. We also had a gig there for a while and before it was now it's called the Trop on 33rd Avenue there okay. in Calgary yeah yeah it's just in Marloop area there and I remember we had a regular gig at Tropicana and it was it was like you'd get sometimes some bikers coming in and they'd be like it would almost be like one of those blues brothers moments where they were <laughs> going to throw bottles at you <laughs> Good thing
0: there was chicken wire in front of you.
1: Well, we di- I didn't play any bars with chicken wire, I don't think, but I, I,
0: there were times where I wish there was chicken wire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, and then after that, you, you started as a soloist. Um, there was a jazz club that opened in Calgary uh, around the same time-ish uh, called the Beatnik Jazz and Social Club um, that we had for, I think, 17 years, and you eventually became the... Uh, the booking manager the uh, maybe a good term for it um, and uh, uh, for, for the room which saw some incredible music and I still miss that place um, mm-hmm. and we can talk about that but I want to go to um, uh, you, someone just spammed a bunch of things here uh, hi Angie Hill uh, someone spammed a bunch of buttons it was like every single emotion possible just came up it was like thumbs up anger uh happy laugh just the whole love thing i uh if there was a face palm i'm sure they would have used it they just spammed everything whoever that was i like you okay so the um i don't know the uh uh but then you went on and you were you were starting your own bands as as a leader as as the jerry a bear group um you had you loved you worked a lot with trio you worked a lot with quartet and you did put uh two very good recordings together called the beaten accessions volume one and volume two uh six 2am is the first one and volume two is, is is i believe is called interference um those are tracks from those albums they're not the the title names um, okay
1: they there's there was three actually there was three albums volume yeah. Three is also um it's just you know, not lap- on it's just not anywhere then Where's well volume it is if it, it kind of hides differently because it came out under like if you search my name and you're in in, uh, iTunes, you get one, you get two albums. And if you search the Jerry Abert quartet, you get the Ah. other. And the reason for that is because that was released under a different record label. And the record label is our friend, Simon Fisk's plunge out audio. He, he put it through a different distribution network. And so the third album doesn't pop up in the same capacity as the first two. Um,
0: That's why.
1: Yeah. And that one came out kind of just before I started working here at this school where I am as music artist in residence. And, I uh, I f- I love the fact that I kind of found a voice with a quartet of people that we did our own arrangements and writing, and um, the beatnik was really the, the 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 fertile ground for us to explore a different kind of music. And we played a lot of interesting I don't want to call it non swing stuff, but a lot of straight eighth contemporary meter, contemporary. Jazz, and I yeah. really found that that stuff fit my style of playing yes uh, then then i was never a bebopper although i enjoyed playing some bebop I, it was kind of like finding a different contemporary take on bebop
0: right cool well th- this one does say that it's it's called sixth avenue 2 a.m is is volume one and constructive interference is is, volume is that like two, an apple two. music
1: thing where it's a that's creative. just
0: what it's calling the records okay. i cannot online that's that's all i can find
1: well uh, internet right it's it's been a while since they came out so i guess i can't complain because okay i'm looking I'm,
0: I'm looking at the cover of the beatnik sessions volume one and the cover says it's called sixth avenue two am
1: yeah no okay the song must have been yes the the i always think of it as you know just volume one of the series but the 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 song constructive interference is the second album
0: yes okay so it's, it's and
1: it's, and okay. Okay. So,
0: yeah. I, I, I was
1: just not thinking of it in the same title name you put it. But You're right. That okay. Sort of the and that was a tribute Can to. Can I get that
0: in writing? The you're right no, thing? No, Can but send that, me was an email? Tribute
1: to that thing we used to do, which is those conversations we'd have at 2am on 6th Avenue.
0: It's true. And, and that was pretty cool actually, because that was uh, when we both lived in, in a certain part of town area of town, um, frequently we would be on 6th Ave at 2am uh, <laughs> and, and, And in those days we were working with so many different bands in so many different places but we would almost always be leaving the gig somewhere and and call each other because that was when people used to call each other on the phone before it was just a text and we'd call each other and we'd chat and we'd uh uh, we'd meet up for 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 food or a, a rat pack hang with with you know the two of us or other musicians um and we would always get funny looks because we'd be all be wearing tuxedos or suits or something and um or we'd meet at the beatnik if it wasn't too late and we'd sit in and have a jam session um i miss those days Those were it fun. was fun
1: they, it was always fun because there was an energy
0: you always have after the
1: gig right mm-hmm. you, you can't just shut it down and turn go to sleep You you're, you, you have to kind of process what you just played and and quite often we'd be on different gigs it'd be like you'd be in one part of the city I'd be in another part of the city and sometimes Mm -hmm. we'd have a conference call with somebody else and and it was kind of that hang that we could do virtually on our way home and often we would also do it in person and Beatnik was clearly the place where a lot of those things would happen that's why it was the
0: jazz and social club it was the it was the heart of the heart of the jazz community at the you know for that period of time you know and we've hasn't really been um successfully duplicated yet um sadly which which is one of the questions i have later on so i want to ask you now what what does our city now or another city because you you were in the inner workings of that club for so long you i mean it was a second home to you like it was to all of us but i think to you even more so than most of us because you know being involved in the booking and and of course helping the the incredible owners uh, with everything they were trying to do um, how could uh, a room? Because we're still waiting for that in, in Calgary. We're waiting for a real uh, jazz room to open again. How? Uh, how? How do we make that happen? How do? How does any city or town make that happen? Yeah, that's a super uh,
1: challenging question. I, I think there was a system. I think mean, there was a bit of a formula for live music clubs that Beatnik worked hard to kind of set up. For the on the Calgary in the Calgary model and and being the boomer busty kind of community that we've had where you have some strong periods and then you have like talk to Pat McIntyre and how he's run the Ironwood for the last you know dozen years or so too and it's I like how we would do that again would I would need I would think you'd need to have a real strong team from all sides and it's like the restaurant experience or or whatever the dining experience is the the music vision and the business and marketing vision like it it would be building a whole new you know base of audience and it would be very challenging but i I, it could be done in calgary um for sure uh i've always thought that particularly the kind of supper club really i want to say high end but a little bit more of a premium experience and i think of like the jazz alley or i think of you know yoshis yoshis and yeah like some of those places like it's sad to hear what was the club that just recently
0: closed in new york it's one i've been to a that lot. was one of my favorites and that was the jazz standard standard right yeah and yeah like, that place. i used to go there to hear uh, maria schneider's new works every couple years
1: yeah. yeah and that's one of the places you definitely like her band was like always, did a big presentations in 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 the jazz standard when they had
0: a new project put together, and yes.
1: and you have to be playing those things on a regular basis to kind of
0: make that work. Yeah, it's true. Um, I do think it could happen. I agree didn't with answer the question. Saying.
1: I didn't answer the question exactly, but I do think if you had a great, the right team together and they had a vision, and there need
0: to be some money, obviously, to kind of yeah. fund that kind of model. Yeah. And I think what you're saying though too is is right. You need uh, someone who really understands a great restaurant experience. And mm-hmm. and a you know and then someone a different person that understands what it means to build a, a room and an audience around the uh, the experience of of jazz of performing it and listening to the music, and someone who can run the business as as well you know you need so you kind of need two very artistic type business minded people on the the food and the music and then you need someone who's very business and marketing minded. I think you're right. Um, hundred percent. Love to see it happen. <clears throat> so would i do you have uh so we talked about your records um first out of those three records if we're pointing to someone to to listen to one which one should we point to
1: well i i feel like it's the the third one you know like for me that one was the closest to uh a unique artistic expression for the Mm -hmm. group and we were really um the, th- the three of us together or four of us is like I, I when i say three I, like at that time john may simon Fisk and aaron young they're kind of like the three of those guys are a little bit like a uh, a culture on their own
0: <laughs> like they're, they're just... sorry that was accidental i was trying That's to find the, it. the it album great. that but uh <laughs> that was not it
1: <laughs> yeah sorry i should have like sent you some tracks beforehand if i'd been on top of things
0: no no um, this is fine it's just uh honestly uh the third album is just not on streaming i just can't find it so
1: well you can find it on cd baby at least that's the last place i saw it um and i know because i've actually occasionally still get digital sales from it um Mm -hmm. not a lot but i mean that album's been over 10 years out now um but in that album uh our original music and just the projects we were doing it was the funnest and we toured it we we went and performed in a few different clubs around alberta saskatchewan and and british columbia and uh and that was really fun to kind of you know do the jazz thing which is like get some gigs take the album out um be on the road in the van for a long time (laughs) talking about each gig
0: so it's been a long time since uh since you you've made a record and i know uh because i've been um involved in in a little bit you had a you had this really cool idea back in the day of taking Peter Gabriel's music from The Last Temptation of Christ, and we right. recorded about half of it, and it was powerful and fun, and you had ton, uh, Bob Fensky and I think Brent Van Dusen with the great Eric Bozeman on drums, Ralph Bushmeyer on guitar, Yeah, was it Coates, Jeremy Coates playing bass? You, you had this, this great There's concept. Cody. Cody, was it? Yeah, Cody Hutchinson. And you had this great concept, and those tracks sounded awesome and never got released. And then, then you started another project um, that was a great idea, which was kind of like reimagining the the Adder, uh, Cannonball Adderley's music. Um, did, like, do you have plan? Because I know you're creative, and I, and is it? Do you have plans to record another album? Like, is there something well. in your mind?
1: I won't deny that I've I've started some things I haven't been able to finish. Oh, we all
0: do that, it's just <laughs> normal, yeah.
1: And uh, sometimes it's the scope of the project at the time I did it, and sometimes it was kind of the, the resources being available to mm-hmm. follow through with those things. Um, and time. And the time, and, and honestly, as a parent, I can say that there was stages where I could get away with more immersion into things than at other stages. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that the first three albums that I did as a, as a leader with a quartet they came out um kind of at the right time for me to kind of be able to to still have some attention to that side of my of my life mm-hmm. and I was gigging a lot in fact up until about 2008 particularly but even in 2010 11 12 in that period like there was a lot of you know club work and um corporate work and mm-hmm. sort of event work and I was pretty well interacting with different bands and and gigging you know, like you, and often with you, um, two, three, four times a week, and that sort of made those things happen. And since that time frame has kind of changed, and I shifted my life, and my gigging is reduced, and I'm kind of more—I don't want to say picky—I'm not. I would say it's more to do with the type of opportunities that I feel I'm good at. I'm not mm-hmm. doing the things I'm not as good at as much anymore, and i would say i started to specialize as a bit more as a doubler and i would say that the calgary jazz orchestra was a piece to that too in in terms of my own transformation away from being a band leader in a sense because i was more invested in what a section could sound like hmm. that's where that shifted a bit and i didn't have the bandwidth for a personal project as as much as i would like to but we did some fun little things like a couple mm-hmm. videos we did a, the cannonball thing was was a neat project and i think one and, of those
0: videos is on is on youtube
1: Couple of them are actually. There's at least two or three. Yeah, they're out there. So, you are definitely in there. I know that. Yeah, so.
0: I had a lot of fun with that. I, I, I was, I was hoping we could. Well, it was fun, what we did, the, it was. Um, 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 it would okay, have been so, nice to release a CD, but then, I guess the viability
1: of independent recording projects is also pretty much shifted over these last 10 years Mm -hmm. in a way that's kind of like uh do i really want to make a really expensive coaster
0: or i I sold most of my like actual sales um (laughs) you know even downloads like there would be a lot of download sales for a long period of time and now it's it's most people do expect music to be free you know on a streaming service or something which doesn't doesn't pay musicians unfortunately um that's another part of the problem right the streaming world and how it's taken over so uh I have more questions to ask you but we talked a little bit about um classical saxophone. Do you do you, do you have something up your pocket that that I could just ask you on the spot to play?
1: Mm. Not really. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. I will say that as, like
1: for classical saxophone um and obviously Dr. Brown is like the the mentor for most of us on that Um, earlier in the pandemic, I was actually playing a little bit of Paul Bonneau's Caprice en forme de Vals, which is a really kind of somewhat virtuosic solo alto saxophone thing. And Mm. I, uh, I wouldn't even, I don't even have any music nearby, but in terms of the, uh, the, uh, that style, I actually would like to get back to more of that. And I kind of mentioned to you as we were chatting, you know, I had two gigs in fifteen months, like many of us. Uh one of them was what I, was what something what I kinda call a gig as played with some other musicians earlier this week. Um actually that was yesterday. Sorry. I was like. And I think um it's taken a while for me to to I don't want to say find the passion, because it never really lost. It's just the routine. It's building a routine of practice and engagement and kind of energy to have momentum when things were always getting stop start stop start i guess you could say with the opportunity to play again i was definitely driven as a person by the next gig coming right. and if it was a big band gig if it was a you know the amy winehouse band project with you if it was you know one of my quartet or trio shows or if it was something else i i was always putting those pieces on my stand and when i'd walk in my studio before i'd go to the computer i'd go okay what am i practicing and, and when those things all got pulled off the stand and it was zero on the stand that it was relevant, it's like I had a gig with the CPO book just before the pandemic happened. And I remember the music was all there and I had been practicing it and it was all prepared. And then the pandemic hit and it was like, well, don't need this. <laughs> and it's my, my practice stand went, went blank. And that caused me, I did play. I started playing some different things. I particularly started playing a lot of flute, actually. Um, more often than almost anything else um, for quite a while during the summer last year.
0: Well, it's, it's interesting how the, I think for, yeah, for most musicians, when we have something, a project that we're working on, it's where we find our our passion to, you know, to do a good job, just to do a good job. And that keeps us coming back to the practice room because it, it changes our approach and what we're learning and what we find difficult. and Because otherwise there's just this unending, uh, weight of all the things we should be practicing. Um, yeah. And it's more than you can do in a day. And it can
1: be a guilt, or it can be a like... guilt. Not for the right... Like, I've, I've always admired you. You know, we'd talk, and you'd be like, yeah, I, I put in my two hours or three hours, and you, and you did that. You, you, got, you had the horn on your face, and you've set standards and approaches to how much you're going to play every day to keep connected to that instrument. And I could get disconnected. And then part of it was I had multiple instruments, and maybe... I would kind of move around a bit. Um, but I, uh, at my best, playing musicals like Theatre Calgary or, or doing some of the shows I've been able to do even here at the school, I feel that um, has been really showcasing my all my mix of skills from reading to improvising to multiple styles to multiple instruments. And CJO does that thanks to the way you write and the thanks to the vision you have for the artists that are in the ensemble to showcase them in, in different ways. And I like... I think that's the the funnest thing for me and i think it's been it was difficult at first to to recreate that when the world took it away
0: for a right it. <clears throat> and, and it is i i i mean part of it for me is as a, as a brass player if i don't do those two hours a day every day i'm 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 just done you know and it actually and, i think it's the same for me but it just
1: uh well you know i accept it differently i guess
0: yeah well i remember being i was being i being i was touring with uh, richard harding saxophone player our friend great saxophone player we guest from last week two weeks ago sorry and um but he he because we've both played with him our whole careers i think and and you know in in a variety of things and um i was on tour with him once i remember we were in a swimming pool and i had to leave i'm like i need to go practice like we have to play tonight and he's like yeah i don't envy you guys he goes i was on holidays with my wife in like maui or something you know for for a (laughs) and then he came back didn't take a horn i, I said really and, he, and he's like yeah And then he came back and i and 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 i did a recording session like <laughs> just how do you how do you do that but um anyway i did find this so this is carl swanik on drums jeremy Coates on bass stephen fletcher on piano uh, myself on Flumpit and you on tenor. And this was a, a neat project approach that you had. This is on YouTube. Uh, I put the link on the Facebook um, chat. Um, if anyone wants to check it out later, it's just a video of the recording session um, that Peter Baxel-Massey recorded. Um, and this was the project we were working on. That we were talking about that we didn't you know didn't the whole thing didn't get released, but but it's cool, we have these tracks. Um, and the idea was, uh, I, I just, I liked your idea. You came around to us and you uh, individually and with these ideas and said, any ideas? And I'd be like, well, this would be cool here. This would be cool here. And then you would take a different song to someone else and any ideas. And then when we did get together, we opened it up again. Um, I think the, the concept was to do
1: a sort of a, a more collective rehearsal model instead of where we were always getting together and one band leader would say, here's the way it is. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be more collective. I wanted to get views from different people on each song and then kind of um, recreate arranging, or not recreate, but sort of evolve the arranging process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I it thought it was also good. efficient with the time we had because I didn't want to ever take too much time from people and it can feel like a rehearsals are good for some people and not for everybody. You know how that is and mm-hmm. you sort of lose a little bit of that energy. So it was fun, also, for me to, to kind of jam with everybody one on one. Yeah, and that's also something that we've done, which I think a lot of horn players kind of shy away from, is the idea that we can have a conversation and just play with our, you know, you and I. We don't need a backing track. We don't need, you know,
0: some arrangement. We'll just start playing, just play, make a groove. That, yeah, you know, it was Al Muirhead that that really showed me that that's how it should almost should be done. You know, but yeah. Um, well, and you know, you mentioned something, too, about the Calgary Jazz Orchestra and the way I write. I Part of the way I write is, is because I'm writing just for you guys. And so when you come to me and you say, I'm really practicing flute a lot, I start going, um, especially in, when it comes to writing woodwinds and writing for flute, I, I learned a lot from, from Maria Schneider. But I start going, okay, well, how do I incorporate that with my concept for the show, you know, or the music that I'm trying to, to arrange? And so I add your and I hear your tone like that's why there's so much of our so many of our charts are written with soprano sax in alto one because you're so good on soprano, your tuning, your range, your ability, your, you know, your, your time to hold it down and to lead a section and your tone is, is so great. So I hear that and, and I know you can also play it very soft. So that's why so many times there will be like three clarinets, yeah. bass clarinet, and soprano sax, yeah. which is a lot more resonant, right? And because I know you can do that and blend. Um, it's funny because you talk about that thing you
1: released last year at the beginning, the the My Funny Valentine video. Yeah. And and that I don't know if that was one of the first times you did that, but that was one of the times I recall that vision of the bass clarinet, three clarinets, and a soprano, and the sound that that could create, which was quite different than anything that I mean you typically hear from an ensemble but also it's like the clarinet they'll always make the clarinet the lead but to have the soprano the lead is um I don't want to say that it's, it's rare but it just wasn't used in too many visions that, or, or organizations I've seen or bands I've seen sorry and I think you know Maria Schneider we mentioned obviously for me Steve Wilson her her sort of read one player and and he is that guy as a soprano player a flute player was, for that matter and all the doubles he does and i was able to meet him and take a lesson with him and, and 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 just his philosophy is something i've really adopted because it is the tool it's like you have a real clear vision in your head and your ears of what you want to sound like but each one of these things you pick up you have to still find that and then you as the arranger can say and hey, now we got the tool now what's the color
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and by having Especially the saxophone section of the Calgary Jazz Orchestra um, we've we've really worked hard on and you guys have worked really hard and I've tried to challenge you guys and 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 make make arrangements and and uh, and write music that brings out your skill sets and but that makes it fun for me because I can hear your tones and I can hear your skill sets and and showcase them and and it's fun because I, I know so many times I've sent you things and sent like I'll take a screenshot and I'm like, is this Am I totally out to lunch? Because if you could play this in this tone or in this style, or I mean, I think I even wrote up I think I wrote some high E's above the staff on Soprano sax. and I'm like, if you can do this, I have a great idea <laughs> that I really think is gonna be musical, but be
1: up to high Gs actually. Yeah. Like concert F. Like and I'll that.
0: take a screenshot and I'll send it to you and you'll be like, That's really not but yeah, sure.
1: <laughs> and I love that because sometimes you don't want to play. It depends on the kind of color, but yeah, like with, with that section, and especially as the section's grown and and it's, I guess we listen to each other and we know our sound and strengths. Yeah. And, and there's a different sound with every player, but playing in tune, playing in time, mm-hmm. like uh, that starts everything else, right? You yeah. can have your own sound, your own voice, your own tone, and I think we celebrate individual tones, but we still expect to be in tune and in time and that's yes. what, that's what the big uh, that's what the large ensemble's biggest challenge or you know can be its biggest challenge is to how do we interpret t- time and and tuning because they're not
0: exactly a science there there's some. no and time yeah. is like we're talking about this with cody too like we, we we have to put groove in time because it's this they're they're two sides of the same coin but but it it changes the way that we our timing works if we're reading eighth notes or if we're reading quarter notes, depending on the groove we're playing. So if we all don't feel that groove and we're not, you know, mentally uh, aware of it, then suddenly our time's off, you know, and it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't feel good. You know? And in a large ensemble, it just takes a little lag in a sense
1: or little you know latency in the ensemble to be to be shifted really quickly mm-hmm. and for it to kind of call like domino on us and especially it's been great to be challenged like i think the ensemble you, you each concert you try to challenge us with some major piece or with some <laughs> yeah. new or or what is the scope of the work and sometimes it's just they're large or they're i mean when we did the um the piece we were you know your sort of um I'm suddenly blanking on your suite the um the Which one that we one? were gonna play last 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 spring sweet jubilation sweet jubilation and when we did that the first time and we were before you'd even finished all the movements and you were working on sections of that I felt like you had such a clear inner vision of what you wanted the sound to be plus you you expanded the the ensemble and we suddenly felt a responsibility to really r- recognize that in our playing mm. and Not only because you wrote the piece and it was all original, but I think it was one of those examples of where you really had a vision so clear that we understood it. And I think in other times, it's like we don't quite get as deep as we want to because sometimes there's just too many dots on the page. There's just not enough time sometimes. Two rehearsals and then we're in a concert and then if something goes a little sideways with the time, particularly, then... The whole group is, you know, up on two wheels, so to speak. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite concert that we've done with the Calgary Jazz Orchestra?
1: Uh, I know. We, I was thinking about this question because you asked the other guys this question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I feel a little bit like how Jim feels in that I've been there with you from the, I think, from the first performance of the Calgary Jazz Orchestra. Yeah. Which was and, at the Beatnik Jazz Club. And that history, we didn't know what we were getting into, in a sense. And um, I feel like it's been a collective concert in a sense that uh, the last each year has built on the year before, yeah. and there's been some really fun moments in all our concerts. And so certainly the, I guess you could say the most exciting concert is typically our our, our Christmas you know fr- frankly Christmas concert series with the two shows and just the energy the whole thing brings to everybody and just that season of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so i always looked forward to that and and yesterday playing i was playing with our, our old friend paul um, and and some others including almir head and Dave reed and and uh, i was thinking about o holy night and some of the stories we have while playing o holy night over the years and and there's always some special energy about that piece and about the end of the concert and about we have another gear and that we somehow bring, bring that out and that's pretty special like yeah. and it's special not only because we're in the in, immersed in it but you know what It doesn't feel like performance anymore it feels like celebration
0: uh yeah isn't that uh, yeah you're right and that's the goal right to celebrate music with people you know Mm -hmm. as as Wynton Marsalis says i love this quotation but he says you know our job is to comment on the human condition so if it's celebration that we're commenting on that's our job Right? if it's if it's pathos that's our job is to comment on pathos musically and i I always like that that thought but wow um, do you have any stories that stand out, funny, inspiring, uh, embarrassing, anything from the from the CJO's uh, history? Um, not, I mean, we
1: have a lot of fun. And I think that we have a nice uh, dialogue on stage with ourselves as well as with the audience where we're not afraid to kind of go a little further than probably most bands would. It'd be like, should you really talk about that more? Or would you, like, even in the performance, whether that's like a little bit of a second line moment off the stage or or when we're showcasing or celebrating or tributing an artist, um, I always find that the the live experience creates something really unique for the audience. And I think the audience feels like they're in our family for, for that period of time so i mean there's so many fun stories we have backstage um you know that i always i don't always but i've had a habit of like having my 25 minute nap in between the sound check and the show
0: yeah i i I have so many images of you on the couch and i always i always walk by quietly (laughs) yeah so
1: yeah, so that makes you a target of things sometimes, but I've just not by me. I get it,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but you know, just that downstairs, and and we'll we always have a lot to cram in with the rehearsal and and the sound check, and 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 then we we'll, we need to just like shut it down for a little while, and then I always find that's kind of uh, I, I don't know, it's a peaceful time that when I we then when we're waiting in the stairwell before we get up on stage, there's almost always a lot of that that adrenaline and that heightened energy and, and jokes and everything. Like you can't even talk about the things that you say in the stairwell before you go out on the, show. you know, it's just like that, that the, just the anticipation of the whole thing. And I think in
0: some ways, the stairwell moments are some <laughs> of my favorite moments with the CJO that it's true. The adrenaline really shoots up there, doesn't it? Everyone's. Yeah, um, I just saw a comment here um, from a lady I know very well, you may too. Her name's Jenny, and she says, I just want to say for the record, Jerry Hebert brought a soprano saxophone on our honeymoon. (laughs) Uh, That that was this soprano
1: saxophone? (laughs) Okay. And in fact, I hadn't thought of this before, but I bought this saxophone in 1988, which was also the same year I met Jenny. Mm -hmm. So... I, I guess maybe she married this too. <laughs>
0: definitely. I mean definitely. Oh man. Yes. Hi Jenny. Um what would you what are things that you would like to see the, the the group do moving forward? Huh. Well, I just want to be
1: back on the stage as, you know, in a way where it's not to say that the virtual ideas or the hybrid ideas are not a good thing to try. But I don't feel like that would showcase us in the way we were, we've been growing. And I think people value that authenticity and that in-the-moment experience that we've always brought. And, and the venue has been good for us for that. I've always wished we could, and you've started the foundation for this, kind of professionalize the organization while keeping that, that, that uh, family feeling, which I think is pretty hard. Yeah it is. <laughs> when you when you make it a business and there becomes a contract on rehearsals as well as on concerts and all the nature of that and I can I understand and and I can process the challenges of that but you have just kind of really ramped that up the last couple of years and just as we were going into the 15th anniversary season you know we were starting to realize some really great performances but also a professionalism in the ensemble that was raising the level and mm. And I, I really hope we can kind of recapture that and we can we can um, get back on the train of, of of growth because the CJO should be heard by a big audience across this whole city. And I think there is an audience for that. And one of my other passions is community advocacy for jazz. And I work with, you know, the you know, Jazz YYC mm-hmm. as as a nonprofit to support them, but I've also my same work with Beatnik and, and even in the schools and other activities I do I want to see this music, the joy of this music shared across a larger platform in mm-hmm. Calgary. And we have great artists here and some mm-hmm. unique presentations. And, um, you know, I feel like we could have been doing those on a stage of, for a thousand. And if we could somehow keep that that intimacy there. And the intimacy piece is something which is a little harder when you're on a bigger stage. But we, we really got that going. And it'd be nice to be like more concerts, maybe, maybe it's like almost a monthly series, you know, that would be kind of like the the dream, right?
0: My goal is, is, is definitely uh, a 10, month, 10 concert season, you know, where we do, you know, September to June and and we have a, a concert a month. The, and, and one of the, um, one of the things I'll say is I, I agree with everything you're saying and, so there's a, there's a board and, and the board has taken with the Calgary Jazz Orchestra now, and they've, they're amazing. And they're all amazing, lovely people. Um, and some of them have had to step down and I hope they come back, um, uh, when they can, because they are all, uh, it, it's the same, it's the same feeling. It feels like a family, not like, um, not like, a you know, it's not stuffy. It just feels more like a family. And so, we, and we were going to um, uh, look looking at stepping things up. But, of course, coming back out of this, we'll see what the transition from lockdown and full stop is. But, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's going to take a while to mm-hmm. kind of start the momentum again for sure. But the, 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 the pattern you were working towards and, and just the process of, the, of everything is going to help a lot. And, and I think you'll be able to recover is maybe not the right word, but just gets restarted. You know, what is the restart plan? We're all waiting for a clarity on that, right? We don't know. Mm-hmm. June has kind of been that, okay, make or break month here. We're all crossing our fingers and hoping that um, this summer we can sp- start to, to get happy about what, where we're going. And um, we're not sure, honestly. I mean, how could we be? Yeah. Uh, so, but the CJO is going to be. I believe an important part of that resurgence that a lot of us, I think, can happen when music is, is back in, in a regular way and a more. And if anything, I like to believe people will want to uh, consume it more because it's so real. It's so in, you know such an authentic experience. And recordings are great, but quite often we're not even listening to recordings in the way we, that you should, in a sense, to really cultivate that emotional connection.
0: That's 100% true, yeah. And one of the things that I, I remind myself daily but i do a listening session every day even if it's a single song but frequently i try to do a record more if i can but where i'm eyes closed only listening um or unless i'm out for a walk maybe i don't close my eyes but um it ended badly every time i've tried that um but uh okay so um tell us about uh a little bit about uh, Jazz YYC because you're, you've you've had a lot of different roles in Jazz YYC, which is the Calgary um, nonprofit organization that that puts on uh, concerts and events with a lot of touring acts and some local acts. Um, tell us about Jazz YYC and and where people can hear more about it. Well, Jazz YYC
1: kind of like the CJO is on an uh, an early project, you know projection isn't the right word but just um uh, kind of growth phase we've been as you know the history in calgary is a little unique in canada in terms of the previous jazz societies and challenges that they had and so we were kind of rising from the ashes a little bit of Phoenix from the ashes at certain points and what I am really pleased with is that the organization is developing and maturing and policies are are coming into place and there's enough resources with volunteers and sort of organizational experience that we're starting to present better and better events year by year Um, it's not where Calgary should be we, uh, we deserve a wor- more of a world-class presentational society. And in order for us to get there, there needs to be some pretty dramatic growth in the next few years. We were on track for that, I would say. Our summer fest of last year in 2020, we would have had our first big shows in the Jack Singer. We would have had some outdoor shows. We would have had some larger stages, and we were on our biggest budgets ever. And I think with the proving that we could do those things, we were... We were we were primed to get better grants and sponsorship and opportunities to rise at another level, you know, so that we, the fourth largest market in Canada, can can play ball with the rest of the country on some of the larger acts, but also showcase the export ready amazing artists in this city more. Mm -hmm. And we have a mandate for that. And we have been pretty good, I, I feel, at showcasing a lot of the local artists and Alberta artists and emerging artists and the youth artists and and you know, collaborating with different organizations. Because it's it's a there's a lot of pieces to that. It's not just here's a jazz festival. Mm-hmm. That that isn't something that has evolved um, yet. Maybe it will. But previous jazz festival only organizations seem to hit a wall um, three different times in our history. So so mm-hmm. now we think we're looking at a different kind of model, and it's early still. I would say like we kind of. Started 2012. The first two or three years are just evolving. The the, the, inter- the sort of the organization starting to get funding, like just like where you are getting funding, or are starting to set up the the, the bylaws and and structure of your organization with the CJO you know, Jazz sees is a few years ahead of that, but we're still not where you would be as a mature organization, like in a city where you've been operating for 30 to 40 years, which is where of course, most yeah. of the other cities, well, 40 to 50 and, and longer. So mm-hmm. we're less than 10 years old, and I'd say we're tracking in the right way. Um, I think, the you know, the pandemic has hurt everybody in different ways, but we were kind of on the cusp of, I thought, a pretty good breakthrough. Now we're going to have to try that again. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm not sure why I, I'm involved all the time. Like I, I guess I feel a community calling to support, not just my own gigs. It's not just about my
0: gigs. It's about what 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 are the ones I can help create for others. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's the if everyone thought like that in all scenes and all different types of artistic endeavors, um, w- everything increases. Um, you're right. But that's that's a lot more of an altruistic approach um okay what have you been working on lately there was something there was a video you had queued up um for something that um that that you, that you've been working on and you produced uh, recently for the private school you're at um and uh tell us a little bit about that sure
1: um actually this has been somewhat surprising for me It's been, uh, first of all, like everybody else, we had to put together a project where we were going to Virtually present um, some of our uh, major shows, and in this case, we usually do a musical each year. And you've played in an orchestra for many of them, mm-hmm. and it's quite a big production for a for a junior senior high school model, um, with an orchestra of anywhere from twenty to thirty musicians, uh, forty to fifty cast members. You know, an audience of two to three hundred, and yeah. we would do four big shows and then a couple of rehearsals and and other things. So this year, we decided somewhat naively to uh, let's put together a, um, a, sort of a movie. And we, we did. And in fact, a musical just, movie, a musical movie where we're still showcasing some songs in this case, more of a, a mix from different musicals and some original music. Mm-hmm. And we did that um, with uh, kind of, I guess we didn't really know exactly how it would work, like in terms of the, uh, um, the different pieces. So we started working on it in a way where we could sort of uh, collectively build the pieces. So we would record because we had to do this in cohorts. And we would do scenes, and we'd you know film the scene with just this group, and then we'd have to film another group in the same scene, and then we'd have to kind of pretend like they were in the same room, but they weren't <laughs> and we would do the music behind all that and I actually uh, kind of got tasked with the with the job of can I record this at a high enough quality to to showcase these kids and mm-hmm. when you're doing a live show. You know, if they're not perfectly in tune or the balance isn't perfect, it's happening so fast that it's like, yeah, as long as the energy and the story comes across, then it's a you little can, more you know, forgivable. But on a recording, not so much, and especially a video <laughs> recording. Um, yeah. So uh, I was great. I was able to bring you and, and and quite a few other musicians who'd played in our orchestras in the past into the school, and we set up our own studio. And we've and I've basically turned into you know uh, an amateur audio engineer, um, working with the software and learning to mix and edit and balance and eventually master tracks so that we could, uh, we could, um, you know, put these in the movie and I'm quite excited about it. Um, and I was just before we, we started, I I had pulled up a little bit of track, which showcases you a little bit, but it's interesting to hear something like from Chicago's and all that jazz without actually, um, uh, you know, being able to do it all together. And we never did because I couldn't get the singers in the same room at the same time. I couldn't get the musicians in the same room. Couldn't get, you know, and all the- Which film. is a,
0: a lot of the way that a lot of music is recorded. Sure. Uh, as, as you and I know, and um, and this was fun for me too because I I got to tour, this was the first musical I ever played was Chicago and I got to tour with the New York production. Um, and they, they picked up some uh, musicians for Canada from Canada uh, PJ Perry, uh, Mark Promain, um, Kelsey. Um, I'm trying to think right. who else was there. Yeah, Kelsey Grant. There was. It, it was. And and it. I think I was twenty one or twenty two, and I was just like, oh my gosh, these guys play great. Um, and I and I really loved the musical. And then I got to play it later. But I think that's the first. That's the one you have queued up, right? The the one from Chicago.
1: Yeah, I do. And it starts off with uh, some trumpet doing something weird with their hands or with a with a mute. Um, <laughs> you can hear a little bit of this just to give you a flavor. Tell me if you hear them. Five, six, seven, eight.
0: That's an amazing thing to, to, to put together. You hired John Day to do the charts. You yep. did the arranging for it. And uh, it's like half professional, half students. Yeah. All the singing is all students. And yep. then you also, you and your team put together, all the students are acting and, yep. and putting all their video together. And so people can, I shared the link um, uh, on, on the comments on Facebook here, but people can go on YouTube and find it. And uh, this one we're listening to right now. And then uh, there is a place they can purchase the whole show. Is that correct right now?
1: Uh, It is. There's an Eventbrite um, page. I'll I'll stop the music there so it's not too annoying. But uh, Eventbrite page through the CFIS website. Um, And, in fact, you have to buy a ticket to the show and to watch it live. Um, There's a limited viewing window. and, And then some people buy the whole show and they get actually a movie in a box. And it includes a, you know, a, a t-shirt and it includes a the video and a, and, and a bunch of sort of other kind of keepsakes for the project. The show is called Bookends, the musical, and it it is a story about the pandemic for our students. And it, it really outlines what they were going through. And the, sto- the songs are kind of nice little escapes and moments that we have throughout the story. And there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of interesting moments of drama in it, too, which... Mm. I have watched the movie. It it's, it's uh, almost done. There's a they're doing a we had to do a couple reshoots earlier this week on a couple scenes that uh, didn't quite work out and we're just getting those edited early next week and then it technically is being released on June 8th. So if people
0: want to check it out, can they go to Calgary French and International School website, <laughs> can they google C-F-I-S. C-F-I-S. And, com? I believe? C-F-I-S. com, and they'll find it. Yeah. Cuz normally the tickets were on the front page of that website. So um I I just I honestly I've been blown away But I would have loved it when I was in school if there was anything like this. Like I played in band and I played rugby, but like I, you know, the normal things, band and rugby. But they, we didn't have, um, we didn't have uh, uh, things like this where you're doing musicals live and you're bringing in professionals to work with with the students and to sit right beside them. So for me, as a professional now, to come in for years and years and years, it's always been something I've looked forward to. It's been, you know, the challenge of playing, uh, playing these professional parts, but also to to get to talk with and mentor these young players that are all around you. And they're just in the job with you. Yeah. There's no, that's like, they just get to learn what that's like and their expectations go up. and then And then when they realize that, I love that they come up to me and they ask me questions and they go, how do I play this? What's this rhythm? What's this, this, what's this, that? And and you know, you you get to share you know your experiences with them, but really what you see is the lights going off saying, mm. professional is different. There's a different level of preparation, of intent, of focus, of study, and of ability. And and they rise to it. And then I watch how you guys work with all the the singers and the cast on stage and, and seeing them grow through the process. And uh, what an esprit de corps for them. And what a, it's just amazing. So it's incredible that you guys could put this together, too. So if anyone wants to check that out, uh, calgarycfis.com. Uh, um, yep. Amazing to see in schools. OK, so we're, uh, is there anything else you want to mention about anything we've talked about? No, I mean, it's
1: great to have a conversation talking about music and our lives together. It's been something that uh, I, I like to believe that's something we've really missed over the last year is just the hang. And and processing stuff because I think I've missed often, like
0: half the people we play with so much.
1: And when you type, <laughs> people, nope. whether you're emailing or texting or all that stuff, yeah, you're only getting a very small piece of that music connection. It's true, and, and just even to have a chat and to sort of say you know, I think we all kind of needed a little bit of a musician's group. <laughs> and you did that with a, a couple of times with CGO, which was really a lot of fun yeah. to just sort of have a Zoom group. Um, and I think the individual sort of profiling of some people and their stories and, and get to know them more, like that is the, what we need to do. That is how we build our, our, our connection to our audiences. And I think that, uh, I mean... I'm just really impressed that you're taking these things on and you're having fun with it and we're trying of showcasing that culture to a, hopefully a broader audience so that we'll have them there when we're back on stage together.
0: Thanks man. Yeah, I I hope so too. Um I wanted to talk about the the photo that's over your right shoulder. Um and maybe we will next time because you're you're Captain Jerry A Bear. Um but um uh uh y- you're that's what your main passion hobby i would say these days is sailing it has been for a long time since you got into it maybe am i thinking 12 years ago uh yeah pretty close 14 years now 14. yeah and you have a boat m- moored
1: Yep, what is um, it? at the dock. Uh, okay, docked. Uh, it's docked right now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know all the terminology.
1: It is moored. You know, okay. so That's not wrong. It's 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 connected by lines that uh, keep it from floating off the dock.
0: <laughs> yes, um, I, I I don't know a lot about sailing, but I I believe that's an important part. The uh, and that's and you you sailing in the Pacific Coast then. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've
1: uh we've owned the boat for the last two years or so this one and we've had some other smaller boats and we've chartered lots of boats before we found this one and this one is for me aptly titled Sejura, and it's it's uh it's you have to explain to people what a
0: Sejura is
1: Sejura is in in notation it's the train tracks or the two little lines that music put notation. a pause yeah put a pause in uh, in the in the music and you can come to a full stop and then it'll restart, and it's a little different than, say, a fermata, and where you might stop and then just go again and and hold the you know the note. And cajura is kind of like that little interlude in the music, and it can to me, I feel like sailing has been um, it's very much like music and performance for me. It's it engages the same sensory experience, the same thinking, the flow, and it's a little. It can also be quite intense, mm-hmm. like music can be. Um, it it demonstrates teamwork uh, it's so it brings out nature and, and all that in ways that I we should all connect to in terms of finding an, an, a way in nature for your for your expression and for me being on the water and being with this boat and being in sometimes great conditions sometimes rough conditions sometimes you feel terrible but the whole thing is awesome and uh, and it makes me stronger it makes me more into the moment and it always kind of re, it grounds me from some of the things that can take me a
0: uh, astray at times in the world amazing i love everything you said about that and it's so important to have the uh, to have to explore the things we're passionate about and to connect with them and to understand why we why they're important to us um the okay so this is the lightning round <laughs> Uh oh <laughs> lightning's bad on boats it's bad on boats uh it's a, it's, it's worse here um if you were a character from Lord of the Rings, who would you be? Uh, Samwise Gamgee, probably. Okay. Um, if you could be Glenn Close or Roseanne Barr for a day, who would you choose? Uh,
1: I don't really know much about either of them other than <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe Glenn Close because there's I don't know, I, slightly I don't, classier. Yeah, maybe. Less. I don't know. I'm I'm gonna put myself into a, you know, a, some kind of problem if I say anything too much about that. I would think. So.
0: Hey, <laughs> okay, let's Glenn go Close. Close. done. Okay. Uh, do you prefer cats or dogs? Uh, I prefer dogs, but I've had mostly cats. in my I know life. that's that's why the I... question is very funny for me. Um, how many smartphones are there in Canada? Oh, probably none. <laughs> none of them are smart <laughs> wow deep okay how would you measure nine minutes of time if you only had two hour glasses one was seven minutes and one was four minutes
1: uh how would you measure it mm-hmm. um, i think you would
0: measure you said one was one was seven minutes and one was four minutes and you need to know nine minutes
1: well, I guess you would uh, start the uh, the seven minute one at the same time as the four minute one, and then when the seven minute one got
0: to five minutes, you'd put on the the, the four minute again. <laughs> all right, there we go. Um, <laughs> what what was your most bizarre life experience?
1: I don't know. I think life for me, being a parent, was kind of all the things I thought were hard about parent. Like being a child w- was shifted around so much when I was a parent, and I I don't, wouldn't call it bizarre, but what I do love, and maybe I didn't expect, is how my relationship with my adult children is feeling as rewarding, if not more so, than it was with my, you know, when they weren't adults, when we were parenting them, like, and we're still parenting, but it it's changed to a different relationship, and I really love that. And so I wouldn't call that you know, weird, but uh, I would say that I didn't know much about that. I, don't, I didn't feel like I had necessarily those kind of relationships when I was a kid.
0: Hmm. Uh, what is your favorite ice cream? Neapolitan. What did you want to be when you were nine years old? A pilot. Hmm. Um, you are hosting a dinner party, and you must invite three famous people. Who are they and Why? Three famous people, alive Mm.
1: or dead. Yes. I would invite Glenn Gould. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I might invite uh, somebody like Stephen Hawking. Mm. And maybe some celebrity. Like one of my favorite artists in terms of creative, interesting artists has been Sting. I would Mm -hmm. say the way he's approached the industry of music and life and balance. So there's three examples. I like it. Um,
0: What is the worst decision you have ever made?
1: (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it's it's the not knowing how to say no. (laughs) I think I say yes well, and I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And, then I go, oh, you know, you know, like Tommy used to say, say yes and figure it out. I think that was referring to some specific circumstances. Too often I say yes and times I shouldn't say yes.
0: <laughs> so, I, You know I know that too. <laughs> we, we've talked about this many times. Um, what is the definition of 42? Jackie Robinson. Okay. Uh, Who yeah. is your
1: hero? Who is my hero?
0: My kids are my heroes. Awesome. Um, what attributes do you like about your heroes? I should expand that to be my kids and my wife. <laughs> you should, but it's too late.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think I, honestly, though, like the, the team that we are as a family, that's, those, that's where I feel heroic. I feel like we are all
0: heroic together.
1: Um, what was the last question? I didn't catch all of that.
0: Um, what attributes do you like about them? I think
1: it's the teamwork. I think it's just uh, the belief that we can accomplish what we want and that we'll do what we have to to help each other. We'll always do what we have to to help each other and always want the others to be happy.
0: I love it. Um, Okay, for bonus questions, or bonus points, sorry, the bonus question. I don't spoke good in public. Um, There is only one Right answer to this question. Do these headphones make my butt look fat? <laughs> yes. The answer is no. It's the Uh-oh. fat on my butt that makes my okay. butt look fat. <laughs> um. Cool. Thanks so much for for coming tonight, Jerry. Thanks, Johnny. Um, Good to catch up. Ah, oh, it's been too long. It's uh, again, like we say, it's such a weird, weird period of time. Um that uh, at least we're all healthy and, and happy and uh, staying interested in, in different projects during this. But I'm sure looking forward to getting back to it. And like I mentioned with the other guys, I think we'll start with when when we're allowed, it might even be soon here, um, to get together uh, outdoors and play. Um, mm-hmm. We'll have the, the Calgary Jazz Orchestra on my driveway and we'll do a reading session and play some tunes, and see if we remember what all the little black black dots on page mean. And, yeah, um, hopefully we can
1: take lots of breaks because I probably only have the chops for about three songs, and then I'll have to take a half an hour break. <laughs> right,
0: three <laughs> sections of a song, and then a well, break. Yeah, yeah. No, it'd
1: be really fun, and and I think reimagining kind of like we can't have what we had, but I think we can know what we came from and grow on this situation. There's silver linings, for sure, to this experience. I think we're going to feel very grateful when we play together for those experiences and never take them for granted in maybe ways we occasionally did.
0: Mm -hmm. Well put. Um, So thank you so much for listening uh, to this uh, uh, recording or listening live um, on all the different places we're sharing it. you can always send an email in, uh, even just through my website or through uh, my Facebook page, if you have any questions or comments about this. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Jerry further, uh, check him out on. I'll say uh, because I wrote the section. I wrote a lot of sections on "Sweet Jubilation," which we recorded with the, the CJO for Jerry, um, especially uh, his uh, soprano saxophone sound. Uh, check him out on "Original Sin." Um, uh, I think it's track three from Sweet Jubilation. Um, you'll you'll hear him featured there. Listen to his records uh, under his name, Jerry Aber and his third record, Jerry Aber Quartet, on uh, Spotify or the first two on Apple Music or wherever you digest your music. and uh, Or buy it, order it from CD Baby. Um, if there was a single track that you have recorded that you want people to listen to, Jerry, what would it be?
1: The title track on the third album is called it's it's a it's a suite called conversations cool and and i think that real conversations like we we're trying to have today and we've had as musicians together and around the gigs those are the meaningful moments in our lives and that's how we grow and change and it's not trying to change others it's trying to to realize yourself through those conversations and be be natural and so i think that that was my attempt musically to explore that and that's why i think it's kind of one of my funnest pieces
0: that i've recorded awesome uh thanks so much for joining us jerry thanks everyone for listening and uh, we'll catch you next week when i have i forgot who the guest is next week um special guest it's a surprise (laughs) Uh, have a good night everybody